Hey. I have taken a deep dive into celebration of hope over the past few weeks to understand what began over 20 years ago. There was a specific sermon by Heather Larson back in 2014. If you haven't heard it, you should. Chronicling how this all came to be. Willow, Christ through us is reaching the world. Do you realize that? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and you, do you always get like amazed by each time they get these big old numbers? This many people have access to clean water. This many people, and each time I hear a number, I always have to remember, God, these numbers have faces. These numbers have faces. We are truly a church that is reaching the world. And I wanna be about reaching the world, and I've come to realize that when I'm considering what God's up to in the world, you know what I'm a little less worried about? Myself. Pretty freeing. We talk so much about some of these really crucial topics that we are dealing with personally, things like anxiety, right? And it's wild, but you know what God does? Sometimes he just graciously lifts our eyes into what he's doing in the world, and then we get to be a part of it. And you get to see what it releases us from. And what it also releases us to, because not only did Celebration of Hope start over 20 years ago, you know what it's still doing? It's still transforming families. I've heard stories, um, just yesterday, there was four generations in one family seed packing together. Is that beautiful? Oh, I also heard, you can give that one family a round of applause for sure. You know what else I heard? I heard there was a woman who was here with two young children. She was wildly pregnant, so pregnant that the grandma chose to drive separate just in case. That's committed. Friends, that's, that's what life's about, is going, this life's not my own. I want to be a part of the world, anyone else? Because it turns out that's what God's up to. In fact, I just recently spoke at a conference, and the speaker after me, he, he was amazing, and he gave this message, and I was so impacted by it, but then afterwards, he was doing a Q&A, and they were asking this pastor specifically about one aspect of his life. He has a kind of like an influence in the life of a lot of celebrities, Christian celebrities. And the pastor who was interviewing said, hey, tell us a little bit, tell us a little bit about you and like the celebrities. Tell us about that. And the pastor started to break down. I think that's been something he has actually been critiqued about. And then he, when he finally get, chokes up enough courage to speak, he goes, I, when I said yes to Jesus, I said yes to what Jesus is up to. And Jesus is, he's in it for the world. I gotta be honest with you, why am I connecting with celebrities? Because some of them have reached the world. And if we can reach them for Jesus, we might actually reach the world. If we can actually give of ourselves, if we can think outside of ourselves, we have the potential to impact the world. And God so loved the world. And Willow, one of those ways he's doing it, be encouraged is through us. Well done. Well done over these years. And I hope you feel invited into what God's up to today. And the way that we're gonna get there is the way that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus so long ago. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter three. Here's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see a three-part outline of what Paul prays. What Paul specifically prays for Christ followers. And here's the three-part outline. He prays that they would look up. <laughs> and that then they would be filled inward that they might overflow outward. And we're gonna follow the same trajectory. We're gonna look up be filled inward, that we might overflow outward, not because we should, but because it's who we are, Willow Creek. It's who we are. 
Uh, the, when, as we turn to this, I hope you guys are in your Bibles. As we turn to this, I have to tell you that this, this passage is one of my life passages because uh, it spurred on my life illustration. I gave this illustration the first time I ever spoke here a few years ago, and uh, you guys didn't know it then, but uh, it turns out uh, it's this. It's a, that of a cup is my life illustration, and uh, so growing up, I was rather outgoing. You didn't know it then. You might know it now, and... Uh, <laughs> And I remember I was always told growing up in church that my job was to like love people, love people, love people. And I took my little cup of love and I'd splash love on people and then I'd run over here and splash love and splash love and, and then I got married and then I had kids. So, <laughs> and it was when I had kids that I realized I had created a really unhealthy habit when it came to the cup and made this prayer extremely important. I would love people, that's good. I highly recommend it. <laughs> Here's what I would do. I would then, after I loved people, I would hold out my empty cup in their direction to be filled up by their opinions of me. Anyone else? It's exhausting, isn't it? Because even if it works, what it does is it fills us just enough to keep coming back for more and becoming dependent upon something else other than God himself for our filling. And I wonder if for any of us, it's people, it could be opportunities, it could be our job, it could be absolutely anything that we run to be filled Here's the three-part outline of Paul's prayer. He says this, look up. Church, tilt your cup upward. Imagine this cup and God's love. Imagine this baby cup under Niagara Falls. That's what I'm talking about. Because here's what happens. When you tilt your cup away from people, places, things, anything, you tilt it upward, there's the potential of you being filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And then guess what? He'll do the immeasurably more through you and it will be natural. And friends, this is so freeing. It is so freeing to walk into any environment, even me here on this stage, and not waiting to be loved and appreciated by you, friends, because I know I'm already loved. So I am secure in that place. And that is precisely what Paul is praying. And my prayer, our prayer, the theme of this celebration of hope for you not that you would give in order to be filled, but you'd recognize how filled you are and then overflow it in generosity because he's been so generous to you. Oh, church, I pray that we would see this. And so we read and pray these words from Paul when he writes this in 3.14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. He's desperate. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray Again, he's looking up. That out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, friends, secure in it, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of him, fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do, here's our theme, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and all the church said, amen. This is Paul's prayer. Look up, church. In fact, it even begins like this, for this reason. <laughs> what reason? 
Anytime you begin with like therefore or for this reason in a section of scripture, you should always go back. So let's go back a little bit. Ephesians chapter three, not verse 14 where the prayer begins. Let's go to Ephesians chapter three, verse one. Let's see what the reason was. So in chapter three, verse one, it says, for this reason. Well, that's not helpful, so we should keep going back. <laughs> here's, the breakout, here's the breakdown of the book of Ephesians and where the prayer falls in it. Ephesians chapter one Paul's encouraging as he's writing to this church, look up, because if you look up, here's what you'll find, that the one who was wealthy with absolutely everything you need has already given it to you in Christ. So look up. Absolutely everything you need, every spiritual blessing. He goes off just in chapter one, just in the few verses. Look at this. It says, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with, ready for it, every spiritual blessing in Christ. And here's how he goes off. Here's what's true about those who are in Christ. You are chosen. You are holy. You are blameless. You are adopted. You are a child of God. In the one that he loves, you are loved. You are redeemed by his blood. You are forgiven with all the riches of God's grace. And here's what he did with his grace. He lavished it on you. This is just like the first seven verses. He's like, look up. Don't look out. It doesn't work, church. Even if it does work for a bit, it just keeps you coming back to other people. And I'll tell you this, people will be crushed by savior-like expectations. Your job cannot sustain your soul. He's like, so look up. He's given you everything you need in Christ. And then you go, how is that possible? Good, chapter two. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, left to be very far from that holy and perfect God, but that's why God came to you. How generous, and he gave all of himself for you. And then rose that if you put your faith and trust by grace, unmerited favor, through faith and trust in Jesus' sacrifice once and for all, if you do that, then everything that's true of him becomes true of you because you become found in him. You were once dead, but you have been made alive in Christ Jesus. And you see this phrase all throughout, especially the first three chapters of Ephesians. You are in him. You are in him. You are in him. He's in you, you in him. This is primarily who you are. And then you get to chapters four, five, and six, and basically it's this. So live like it's true because it's already true of you. Now live like it's true. It's kind of like this. Um, if um, on 12, 11, 10, I got married, that was suddenly true of me. 12, 11, 10. <laughs> it's really helpful to remember for him. And so that was suddenly true of me, but I had like 27 years of singleness. I didn't even know how to live married. I didn't know you have to call and make a, before you make plans, you're supposed to call the, your spouse to make sure that the plans are a good idea. <laughs> I didn't know because I had so many years of, it wasn't, although it was true of me, I was suddenly married, that was true. I didn't know how to live like it's true. That second half of Ephesians is like, this is what's true of you in Christ. Here's how to live like this. Don't do this, do this, do this, don't do this. Be wildly generous because it's what's already true of you. It's what's true of Jesus and he showed it. He demonstrated it for you on the cross. Chapter one, here's your identity. Chapter two, here's how it's possible. Chapter three, Paul's like, we gotta pray because God's the only one that can change a heart and he kneels desperately for it. What's he kneeling for? That we would look upward, point number one. Look upward. And he kneels for it. And the only time it records people kneeling is out of desperation. It's like Paul's given his whole life to people knowing this. Now, mind you, Paul's writing in prison. He's writing from a prison cell. In fact, the verse right before you get to the prayer, he's basically saying, I don't want you to be discouraged by my circumstances. Do you catch this? 
And then if you read the prayer and all of Paul's prayers, what you will find is he never asks for the circumstances to be changed. Isn't that wild? He doesn't ask for him to be released from prison. He just says, give me endurance because I'm gonna know you more in needing you more. Give me endurance in my inner being. And I'll tell you this, in studying Celebration of Hope, not only do we give to countries, countries give to us because they understand enduring. So he kneels, and let's see what he prays for. As we look upward, we see what he's praying for. Chapter three, back to verse 14. He kneels from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Here's verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, (laughs) glorious riches, Paul has no doubt that God is wealthy (laughs) with everything you need. Wealthy. And he has no doubt that God's going to answer this prayer, and I hope you don't have a doubt either, that out of God's glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why do we need power in our inner being? I'll be honest with you. If I were to finish out that prayer, I'd probably go to this that we'd be strengthened in our inner being so that we could do a bunch of stuff. Listen to what Paul writes. So that you would be, have power to be strengthened in your being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts <laughs> through faith. And then he continues, and I pray that you being rooted and established, where? In your relationships, in your marital status, in your job title, in, no, 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 no. In love, <laughs> that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He tells us precisely why why he's praying. He's praying that you would know how loved you already are. And then you'd be secure in it. Look up. He's made it possible for you to really be secure in him and secure in his love. And then he gives us the byproduct that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of him. And friends, that means we'd become more like him. So not only do we look upward, what he does is he fills us inward. Filled inward. Paul prays for our inner being before he prays for us to act right. He prays because he also can't make us change. Friends, this is like humbling for me. I wish that I had the power to like say something, then you'd be like, you're right. And then you'd go live changed. That'd be awesome. No, friends, that's why you have a group of pastors that truly pray for you. That's why I pray for you. I know that my best preparation is not good stories. My best preparation is prayer because he's the one who changes. He's the one that transforms our identity And then our identity is what fuels us outward. Picture it like this. You are an onion. Deal with it. The outside layer is kind of like what people see about you. Maybe how you chose to cut your hair. uh, What you do for a living, let's say. And then uh, you you peel back a layer and you go a little layer deeper. Maybe that's like your personality. (laughs) Maybe a little, little bit deeper is the job you choose. A little deeper is the people you surround yourself with that shape you, maybe the spouse you chose or the roommates you chose. And then you go a little deeper, the house you grew up in and the positive and negatives of that experience. A little deeper, maybe we get to some secret sin in there that's forming us, that keeps us hidden from community and others. 
And you keep on going down, 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 down. And friends, here's what this means. The core, the absolute truest thing about you, the thing Paul is praying for is that you would know that the truest thing about you is Christ in you. If you have given your life over to Jesus, while all these peripheral things are true, the truest thing is you are holy, blameless, secure, loved. Does anyone else, does that give a little bit of relief for you? He wants to secure you, because when have you ever noticed when you're confident how you act different? You don't have a scarcity mentality when you're secure. And he wants that, so Paul is desperately praying, if only you know that you're loved. And you're like, I know, I know. He's like, oh, if only you know it more. It'd free you to live as how he intends. I have a friend who lives how he intends, but it's because she knows her core. She knows how loved she is. In fact, one time I heard her say this, I'm just a willing participant in however God wants to use my life. Here's what she understands. She understands that her life is Christ. Christ's life is hers. She beholds it, and his, her life is his. His life is hers, and it's all mixed up because it's one and the same. She is unified with him so much so that she says, I'm just a willing participant. Now, when she said that, I thought she was referencing this tragedy that she's been through in losing her son. That's what I thought she meant by that quote. Like, I'm a willing participant if he wants to use my grief. And I'm like, me too. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. You know what she was actually referencing in that moment? She was referencing this. (laughs) Life's interruptions. She says, you know like when you're like, you either miss a flight or your flight gets delayed? She goes, that's where I want to be a willing participant. She goes, so when I get notification, my flight's delayed, she's like, why? (laughs) Don't sit next to her on a plane, you know what I'm saying? I wanted to be changed by this, so this week, I'm studying this passage, I'm like, I want to be secure, I want want to see what's going to happen with specifically life's interruptions. (laughs) So I get pulled over by a police officer going, apparently 50 and a 25, apparently. (laughs) Which someone reminded me, they're like, didn't you just tell us a few weeks ago that you should only go 10 over? I'm like, it's okay. So I get pulled over. I get pulled over. <laughs> and the police officer uh, was actually, she was noticeably like nervous and shaking. I'm like, why is she more nervous than I am? And I was like, life's interruptions. Here we go. Are you ready for this? This is true. This is this week. This is literally a week ago <laughs> because of this message. She goes, and I just, like, I'm, I'm trying to spiritualize absolutely everything she says. She goes, you know you were going fast. I'm like, was I? She's like, yes. She goes, you know you deserve a ticket. I'm like, I deserve, you know what? She goes, I'm going to give you a ticket. I was like, I understand. I deserve it. She's like, what? I'm like, I, I did. Now, mind you, I don't actually, I'm not, I'm making light of, like, something. It was expensive, but anyways, <laughs> she's like, so she goes off, and she, like, writes the ticket, and she comes back, and here's what she asks me at the end. Do you have any questions for me? (laughs) You know what the first question that came into my brain was? It was this. Because I'm I'm well aware. When she's writing my ticket, I'm like, she goes, do you have any questions for me? First question that comes to my brain is this. Is there anything keeping you from putting your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is true. This is true. That came to my head. You don't know what I said? Nothing. I said this, no, and she went back to her car. Man, what a miss. I've literally thought about it every single day. I'm like, oh, what a miss. This would have been so good. You know all those different nudges? 
that don't make any sense outside of Christ being in you, the ones that are like, give 10% of your income to the church. And your nudge is like, yes, that's Christ in you. Going, let's live a way that's radically different from the world so that we can reach the world. Let's do it. Let's stop living in the comfort of our lives and the comfort of the moment to get back to my to-do list and what I had to drive to and I miss out on what could have happened in that moment. So how do we grow? Because I'm standing here before you going like, I don't have a success story, unfortunately, this week. I just have a failed moment. But here's what I do have, a longing to grow, a longing to be more secure that that would be easy. But I'll also tell you this, the reason I would do that is not because I have a personality or any other onion layer that you think that makes me ready to do that thing. I'll tell you the only reason why I would do that thing is because Christ is in me and he wants to do that thing and he just needs a willing participant. Are you a willing participant for however God wants to use your life? <laughs> this week I wasn't, so I hope you do. <laughs> no. He's praying for this for us. He's praying that we would be changed. And so how do we change? This is the question that I kept landing on. How do we actually grow? Dana Ortland wrote a really great book about, called Deeper. He wrote a few books, but Deeper is one where he outlines the four ways that Christians tend to believe that we actually grow. And the first three are errors and the last one is biblical. But it's, this has been so insightful for me about how do we actually grow? It's a great prayer. Do we just pray the prayer and then just keep on moving? What do we do? The first error that we tend to do, and I will say a majority of my life, I thought this is how I grow, is this. It's God, then me. Here's the visual. Salvation, that's all him. He initiates, he does the saving. Sanctification, that is the way in which we look more like Jesus. God is sanctifying us, making us more like Christ. That one's on me. This is what I used to believe for a very long time. And I hear it everywhere. We say phrases like this. I just need to read my Bible more to get closer to God. Who's the responsibility of sanctification on in that moment? Me. In high school, I used to equate how close I am to God based on my spiritual disciplines. It was all on me. The burden of faith felt burdensome because I thought my growth, my growth was completely dependent upon me. Error number one. Error number two is not God then me, it's God not me. <laughs> this is kind of that let go and let God. <laughs> he saves me. He'll change me. I'm good. We're getting closer. Someone's like, I'm in for that one, for real. It's an error. It's okay, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did this too, but I think we're getting closer. I think we're getting closer because it's like he predestined us for adoption. He predestined that he'd use all things to form us more into his likeness. He's doing that thing. While that is true, there's actually more. The third error would be this, God and me. It's like a squiggly line right down the middle. Half God, half me. We partner, we're getting real close, friends. We're getting real close, and this is good, right? God's doing a thing, I'm doing a thing, we're working together, and I'd say yes and amen. But there's a theological truth that is mind-blowing that Paul is getting to at in this prayer and also elsewhere throughout scripture, and it's truly how we will grow. Do we partner? Yes. Does God do it? Yes. Do we do it? Yes, but here's how it works. Number four, God in me. And this gives me a lot of hope. It actually gets the God, not me piece, that type of relaxation, but also the empowerment piece of he wants to use me. It's all God and all me all the time. Jonathan Edwards put it like this. He said, we're not merely just passive in it, nor yet does God do some and we do the rest, half, half. No, God does all and we do all. It's a partnership. 
Theologically, we refer to that as union. God saves, and by his spirit, here's what he does. He unites me spiritually to the son, and the result is a growth in holiness. We are, in different respects, wholly passive and wholly active because what is true about Jesus is true about us at the core. And all we need to do is take the onion. All we need to do, (laughs) this is it, (laughs) is just open up all the pockets of everything else and let that truth about us just simply go outward. Here's an example. You feel worried? Worries in one of those layers of the onion? You allow the truth about what's truest about you. And I'll tell you this, God is not worried about a thing. And then in conversation in prayer, you introduce your worry to his sovereignty and you see what happens in prayer. Maybe the secret sin is what's wildly overwhelming to you. Here's what you do. You introduce that secret sin to a God who loves, who forgives, who sacrifices all in order to make a way, who wants to be in relationship with you or in him. He's in you. The hope of glory dwells within you already if you have given your life over to Jesus. This is really good news for us, friends, because how do we grow? He's doing it. How do we grow? We open to what he's already doing. It's not solely on us, yet he invites us to participate. The byproduct, by the way, of all of this is that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, so look up, so that we might be filled inward, resulting in number three, an overflow outward. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Wait, 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 did you catch that? Who's able to do it? Him, but look at how. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work where? (laughs) Within us. Friends, listen to the entire prayer in light of God in me. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in you in your inner being, so that Christ may live there, dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep. I imagine that vision of him in the inside and he is love and wanting to outstretch wider into all the pockets of your other identities. That his love would reach how you work, that his love would reach your personality, that his love would reach your sin, that his love would reach absolutely every single part of you that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of him. Now to him who is able, he's the one who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen? Who is able, he is. Why? For his glory. So let me ask, final question, what is the immeasurably more? the theme of celebration of hope this year. What is it? It's that the whole world would be filled with him. And what's he like? From what I know about Jesus through the scriptures, he feeds the hungry. He clothes the naked. He rescues those who need rescuing. Friends, I wonder... If one of the many reasons COH exists is because people can't worship if their tangible needs aren't met. In fact, I love the way John Piper puts it. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. 
The immeasurably more is this entire world being full of his glory. And I'll tell you this, it starts with us. He does more, immeasurably more through us as he becomes more in us. He's doing it. And I'll tell you this, he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, which makes me want to do this. Ask or imagine bigger things. I don't know what that number $1.5 million does for you, but here's what it does for him. It just makes him imagine bigger, immeasurably more than that. And he can do immeasurably more than what we can do with that. But it starts with us as we experience the immeasurably more for ourselves because until we experience it, we won't want to give it away. A friend of mine is a missionary and she was recently flown back from Papua New Guinea to speak at a college conference on the topic of abundant life, very similar to immeasurably more. (laughs) And she was wrestling and she and I were wrestling in conversation with what she was even gonna say in front of all these college students because she was trying to spur them on to one of two things, either to go or to give because those are the two people that exist in the church. You either go or you give. (laughs) That's who the church is. And she goes, I don't know how to stand up there and tell them um, the, the theme of abundant life, knowing full well that my life is hard. She goes, I live in a country where females don't really have a voice. When I lived here, I had one. When I live there, I don't. And I'm supposed to stand up there honestly and say abundant life, and she was wrestling. She goes, Megan, I know what abundant life looks like for you. I know what abundant life looks like for her. But I gotta be honest, this life saying yes to Jesus doesn't always look like the American abundant life. And so she's wrestling. She goes to our friend's house and she's wrestling. What is abundant life? What is the immeasurably more? What is this? What is this? What are we doing? What are we doing? And a little eight-year-old girl walks in. She's like, what you doing? She's like, oh, you know, I'm just studying God's word and not trying to understand what the abundant life is. And she goes, oh, we just learned about that in Sunday school. My friend's like, you did? <laughs> not with much anticipation. The little girl goes, yeah, it's kind of simple. My friend's like, really? <laughs> she goes, abundant means a lot Life is Jesus. So the abundant life is any life that has a lot of Jesus. Anyways, she leaves. <laughs> I think a lot of us maybe look at our life circumstantially. We don't see a ton of needs. Because I wonder if we're missing out on a lot of Jesus. The immeasurably more is that the world would know Jesus And it begins with us, but everything that happens to us is never meant to stop with us. It's always meant to go through us and into the life of another. The filling is not just for us. This filling that Paul is praying for Christians to know, it's not just for an individual, it's actually for us. And it's for the world. It's for others. As my missionary friend likes to point out, Psalm 67 Verses one to three, maybe you'll recognize the first half. It says this, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Have you ever said or received that blessing? That God would be gracious. I hope you know that. If you've come to church here, you've heard that, that God would be gracious, that he would turn his face and shine upon you. But what my friend always highlights is there's a comma. There's not a period that comes next. In other words, this is just part 
of why God turns and is gracious and shows his face upon us. Here's why. Selah, musical break. That your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Paul doesn't stop the prayer after saying, I want you to know how loved you are, he says, because when you know how loved you are, you'll want the world to know the love of God too. And God's plan for the world church might just be you. So what is the ask? (laughs) I want to tell you this. The campus pastor will come up right after, but before it, it's this. Be generous, but here's why. Not because it's what you should do, but because it's who you are. <laughs> do you see the difference? Don't give in order to be filled. You're already filled. Overflow that which he's abundantly given to you. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray even now before we get into the response time that we would just consider all that you've done for us. And I pray the same prayer that Paul prayed, God that we would know in our inner being that we're already loved and secure. It's not because of our finances or our jobs or our relationships. It's because of you. So open up our eyes to see you, be filled with you, and then overflow you to a thirsty world, we pray. And all God's children said, amen. There are two responses. I'll do the first one, then hand off to Sean to do the second. Friends, I really was bummed about the police officer moment. (laughs) I was so bummed until I recognized something. I wonder if that question wasn't actually for the police officer. I wonder if it was for someone in here. So I feel like, even isn't it cool? God even takes like a failure moment. And he's like, I'll use that. So I'm gonna go on this one in faith. I have a feeling there's someone in this room, even now at this particular service, 11 o'clock, that needs to consider truly this question. Is there anything keeping you from putting your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He loves you. He gave himself for you. He wants to put his life in you that you might have life, not just abundant life here and now. You'd have more of him and then you'd be with him for all of eternity. Because the truth is you can't get to God, but God came to you. He died the death to pay the consequence of anything that would keep you from him rose to give us life, that we may put our faith and trust in him. Is there anything keeping you? I just want to keep saying it because I missed it once. I'm not going to miss it again. Is there anything keeping you from putting your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If that's you, I want to invite you to respond. And for all of us, the invitation is this. Jesus gave his life as a sacrificial offering for us. And so Sean will let you know what's he asking of us. (laughs) Nothing less. Bless you. See you soon.